there's lots of animals that are hidden in our area, but they all have a purpose. And I think, I mean, that's outdoor learning right there. That's indigenous learning. It's just so beautiful. We need to have some more empathy towards our students and, and really look at them in a different lens than how we have. You still don't give up. And I think that's just the power of our ancestors. They were so powerful and it really does carry on through generations. Hello and welcome to the Earthy Chats podcast, where we're cross-pollinating environmental education ideas. I'm one of your hosts, Jade Harvey-Beryl. I'm joining you as the Outreach and Events Manager for the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM, and the Outdoor Learning Store, which is your one-stop shop for outdoor learning, equipment and resources. I also run Stoked on Science. It's an environmental education and consultancy business based in the interior mountains of BC. And I'm your other host, Ian Shanahan, the general editor of Green Teacher, an environmental education charity that produces a quarterly magazine, books, webinars, PD, and the podcast, Talking with Green Teachers. Let's get started. We all are from the land, and we all learn from the land and really understand our surroundings and understand the seasons and why are things here that are here they obviously have a job to do the ecosystem is just so it doesn't matter which culture it's all so important and then with outdoor learning it's just it's the same thing like people are always so worried about um, making mistakes with indigenous learning but i always just say go outdoors like you don't have to teach the land will teach you but you do Hello and welcome to this edition of Earthy Chats. We're joining you uh, on a sunny, beautiful day uh, as part of National Indigenous History Month. Um, our guest today is Jenna Jessic. So alongside being an Indigenous advisor to the Outdoor Learning Store, Jenna is the District Vice Principal of Indigenous Learning and Equity for Rocky Mountain School District Number 6. As an Indigenous person, she's learning about her culture and love learning and loves learning about traditional teachings and knowledge of nature. She strives to provide students opportunities to explore, learn and immerse themselves in the outdoors and outdoor education. Jenna's also taking the lead on partnering um, with the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network to offer the Every Child Matters year-long learning challenge um, that over 100 schools or organisations and 1,000 people have participated in. And this was to help support them in deepening their understanding of Indigenous knowledge, culture, history, challenges and perspectives. And as someone who's been a part of that long challenge, uh, I can say that it has done all of those things. Uh, Jenna was also the 2022 recipient of the Community Literacy Award for Windermere Valley. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I could go on. There's lots of other things, but welcome, Jenna. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we always like to just start with a bit of background or um, context for where people are coming into uh, their perspective of outdoor learning. And I wondered um, what your relationship with the outdoors and environmental learning is. So you, you are you in Windermere Valley? Is that where you live? Yes, I live in, in Vermeer. And did you grow up there? And I did. I lived um, uh, just outside of Invermere in a 
a place called Juniper Heights, and it um, had little um, acres of land. And so I spent a lot of my time exploring my backyard, which was forest. So I, um, and my parents were always like, get outside. So a lot of my life, nice. <laughs> I was out there creating and imagining. So I, I, I know my backyard really, really well. And it's just a nice place to connect. I still go there. I still live in Juniper Heights, actually moved back because I love it so much. They have these really great trails for bike riding as well. And they can be challenging and they can be easy enough for kids. So it's just, it's really special. I can just ride right from my house to like 20 kilometers of trails. And then we have an acre of land right beside my dad. So we have lots of flora and so much going on in our backyard of animals. And you just never know what's going to be coming. We just found a badger crossed our area last week, which is, I haven't heard of that before. So that was really exciting. Yeah. That's so cool. They're so endangered in the UK where we, like when I grew up, if you, um, you know, if you saw a badger, you know, there's all these reporting websites, um, like, and you know, if you found one squished by the side of the road, which is definitely a thing, um, and I feel like, I don't know if the Queen just had a jubilee, but there was one of these sort of archaic laws that only the Queen could eat badgers and swans, which I think came from like hundreds of years ago. And I think it's hopefully <laughs> now not a part of the decisions or uh, that they make. But I do remember that being a, a thing, you know, it was people would eat them. And I just think, okay. Goodness. That's crazy. Other options. Yeah. And you, you have some kids and, and so that environment, like you said, is, is a beautiful place for, for all different people to enjoy. Yes. We all go out. Um, it's just like, you just go and I have a backyard with, with grass and then you just keep going about 500 meters more and it's a forest and it has, like I found sage back there. And I'm just, as I get older, I'm learning more about like before I was just like, oh, well, this is a nice smelling flower. This is pretty. Um, this is stinky. And I just, I, that was just like, but now I'm, I'm learning the names of what each thing is and learning um, what they do and, and how they're purposeful and why are they in our local area? So it's, I'm just having a lot of fun in my backyard. It's just beautiful. That is a really lovely thing to have access to for sure I think that's a big one for me I've said before like I didn't grow up here so my flora um the fauna is somewhat the same but the flora is completely different we have a lot more diversity of deciduous trees or maybe Mm -hmm. we don't have that much more diversity but there's just more of them as opposed to conifers and so I've just spent like the last six years trying to learn the difference between you know friendly fur needles and hemlock and the fact that half the time you can't even see the needles from the ground because these trees are so big so trying to identify off of bark and how that changes over time and it's just it's magical exploration oh trees are so magical Uh, yeah I'm learning so much about them as well it's just oh nature is incredible and as medicine you know and we've got some resources now that in the store about um you know medicinal plant use and I've been chatting with a local ethnobotanist here and just that knowledge that you know has existed for thousands of years that I feel like um 
you know, was partially lost um, and or ignored and then is now coming back in. And I love telling kids, you know, that aspirin or, you know, a lot of medicines that we know of yeah. come from plants. You know, aspirin comes from the bark of a tree that you find in the in the rainforest and near the equator. But um, do you, did you grow up with your indigenous culture? Was that a part of your upbringing? Um, no, you- not at all. My grandma went to residential school and I knew that she went away to school. She was taken away from her family. Uh, But that was really all that we talked about. It was, it was like in an embarrassment to be indigenous. So um, we just, just carried on with life and um, tried to fit in really. And so I'm super sad. My grandma was one of uh, the last uh, Tanaha speakers in our area. And uh, I knew she didn't even teach me any word because she just like it was just ingrained in her to if you speak your language, you're going to get in trouble or you're going to get hurt. And so she wanted to protect us. And that's what she did. So it wasn't until like early 2000s when I went away to school, I started learning about my culture. And I was floored about how um, people from the coast really knew about about their culture it seemed like they had so much and I was so jealous Um, but then as I grew I realized my grandma she did teach me so many things we went huckleberry picking she grew this huge garden every year there's it was only her and my grandpa that lived on the reserve with this big garden she grew it for us and so we spent a lot of time playing in that beautiful garden and just her like she was a such a amazing she's my role model. She made everyone feel like they deserve to be there. She was so loving and kind and looked for the best in everyone. And I mean, that's what I strive to be every day. So she did teach me a lot. You just have to kind of think about about it in different terms. We didn't dance and we didn't bead and that sort of thing, but um, she did do a lot in, in our own way, I guess and pass that down in those subconscious ways and mm-hmm. of being with, yeah. with others and I mean that's a a very to have that retrospective to be able to go back and then as you learn more in a maybe more formal way to say ah I recognize that I connect exactly. to that um exactly. I, f- I feel like the indigenous advisors or people with knowledge that I have had access to um as a person who did a science degree and and was brought up in an environment you know from the sort of you know the colonial power that that did Mm. all the taking of stuff that we have this our way is the highway everything must be meticulously um, documented and described in a certain way that I am having this most incredible unlearning journey um, of connecting with people that communicate differently that share knowledge differently uh, that can't be constrained by a 60 minute workshop mm-hmm. um, space you know exactly. and it's a it's a it's a magical journey to go on and I um I wish I wish there was more capacity and I know that we took that you know and that's mm-hmm. that's a big part of the journey is is um trying to create a space where there is capacity again through allyship but it's a, a long journey 
Yeah, I, it's pretty incredible. Like if you um, indigenous people in our past, just how they were scientists and ethnobotanists and they did do all of like they collected, they knew um, what to do with certain plants, when to do it, when to leave them, when to do, like they just had all of these beautiful ways of being and uh, they just knew about each plant and, and how it could support them. It, yeah, it's, and they did do their own data collection and all that. So it's it's really neat learn, relearning or learning just how incredible like uh, my ancestors were. And I think like medicine as people, as all of the mm. all of the non living and living elements of our of our ecosystems, as people, as having mm -hmm. personalities. I mean, and as a child, I mean, I think you'd call it having imaginary friends. Um, but I <laughs> used to, <laughs> and being a strange child. But um, for me, I used to have all of the plants had names and personalities, oh, for sure. and they were a part of me. And I had this back corner. Um, behind these big tall holly bushes where I would um, collect different plants and animals and I think like in my mind I was making potions or and but I was making um, dyes and inks and stains and that. experimenting and the more I learn and read indigenous stories and the way that um, that exploration and understanding of the landscape and, and not picking everything and responsible harvest and I tap into this part of my brain that was like oh even as a, I think I was, you know, seven or eight, if I pick yeah. all of this, all of those berries, then there won't be any for the birds. And um, then maybe they won't grow back next year and I can't have any. And so, I don't know, the more I learn about indigenous ways of being, it, it connects so deeply to my soul in a way that I feel um, if people, if more people tapped into it, you would, you would understand that, that, that we are all nature and that we are all part of it. So cool that you had that, that instinct as a child. And I did that too, with like anything living was had feelings and character and had to take care of them. And so that's so cool that you were like that too. I'm still like that. Yes, yeah. I talk to yeah, all guilty. <laughs> yeah, it's the same. Well, I just have read um, that the more you talk to plants and animals, like it really helps them grow and thrive and and oh I, I've read some words like can you imagine like talking to a plant how much it can grow and they've done different experiments on like negative versus positive talk with plants and how flourish the positive plants go so I actually do make an effort to you know check in and well, I want them to do well so absolutely they, you know creating the, the the air that we breathe effectively mm. so thanks for that Mm -hmm. exactly so, so at what point did you take all of this care and knowledge and understanding and decide that you wanted to share it with other people um I sort of got into education because I'm bossy and I like to tell people what to do and I wanted to do I had an obsession with um check marks and and I used mm. to have a whole class of um you know stuffies that I would teach to and I would do the register every morning um and so that was why I got into it and I wonder whether perhaps you had a slightly more deeper meaningful <laughs> approach <laughs> you had your red pen and your oh, I did. teacher's hat oh my gosh and stickers uh, and yeah of course. <laughs> I like I always wanted to be a teacher but it was different because I didn't have any role models that 
look like me growing up. I didn't have every indigenous person I knew had like a low income job. And it just, I felt like I, I needed people that I could connect with and man, how, how great my childhood would have been if I was in schools and there would have been an indigenous teacher. I had indigenous support workers, but um, they were often um, non-indigenous. And so I just feel like when you have a culture that's the same and you've dealt with the same um, issues and you just connect so much better. And, and plus I wanted indigenous children to know you can be anything you want to be. You, you can like, this shouldn't be a surprise that there's a teacher that's indigenous. It should be normal. And so I really, I just wanted to be that person for kids and especially the girls, because I just felt so different than everyone else I grew up with. And it'd be nice to have someone else have my back and just be, yeah, just be visual, um, visibly present is I, I that was my main reason to becoming a teacher. And of course, because I loved kids, they were just so fun. And I could, yeah, it's just my favorite thing to do is be around kids. I can be myself and be goofy and get to play all the things I really do want to play, but now I have an excuse. <laughs> and they just, so true. they are just the coolest and they say the neatest things and they find the most beautiful things when you bring them out in nature. Oh. It just floors me all the time i've got a pile of rocks <laughs> oh yes of course a pile the rocks. of rocks of the gifts that that kids have found me that's just oh. that's the gift rock pile well they're yeah, so beautiful few. like how do they find these beautiful like i've red rocks heart rocks turquoise glittery like oh my gosh good job i'm always impressed they're noticing things aren't they hello listeners this is ian I'm just here to let you know about the Talking with Green Teachers podcast, produced by Green Teacher. If you don't know who Green Teacher is, we are a registered charity in Canada serving environmental educators in Canada, the US, and overseas. For only $32 a year, you can subscribe to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts. So you've recently made the big switch from teaching to admin. And mm -hmm. I think it's always valuable for administrators to have had that teaching experience. Like how has your teaching experience informed the work that you're doing now? Oh, it's informed so much because I've been in the classroom and I've worked with so many different types of children. And I realize um, just how important it is to be outdoors and how important it is to have hands-on learning and um, um, that everyone learns a different way and that all children have gifts and we need to find it. And I think if I didn't have that time, like I worked a lot with children that, with diverse abilities and they have right. taught me so much about how everyone's brain works differently and, and how they get their needs met. And um, they have been my biggest teachers. And I'm so thankful because now I can, um, in a an, mid-level, say, say the same things to other teachers, like really share how important it is to have um, different activities for different children and, and how important it is to be moving and being outside and connecting with the land. And 
it's really, I understand so much of how important it is to be outdoors. And I don't know if I would have had that if I wasn't a teacher first. Oh, for sure. In terms of students with diverse abilities, what are some of the barriers that you've experienced? And, you know, naturally we always, when we're looking at barriers, we want to look at solutions. What are some of the most effective ways you've found to move past those barriers and open up those opportunities? Well, it, you come to school and you're just expected to sit in your desk and do your work and <laughs> comply. And uh, these little guys have taught me that complying is just complying. Like, why are we doing that? They question everything. They're so curious and they can't sit in their seats because gosh, that restricts them. They have this big personality that needs to be out and exploring. And the most amazing is the students with diverse abilities, when I bring them outside, they have so much space to roam and they just feel they can calm down. And uh, they're the ones that find the most incredible things when I take them out. I, and, and they have all this knowledge, which like they finally get to shine when they're yeah. outdoors. And I think, oh my gosh, we need to get these kids outdoors all the time. Can you imagine how capable and how great it would be if they just, if, if our world shifted a little bit and we fit our world more for them than just this one type of student that has to sit in a desk and, and do work. And I know classrooms aren't like that anymore, but there still is a lot emphasized on academics where I think um, these students have taught me really, it is important to do your heart work and really like connect yourself and breathe and, and move your body and explore and, and that you need to provide um, children different activities, different things, um, because they're not going to all do the same thing and how important it is to make it meaningful to children and making it meaningful to that child instead of just, this will be good enough for everyone. It's like, no, little Johnny loves Pokemon. So we're gonna try and like focus his activity around that. Um, or um, just like I find these kids, I just call them naturalists. They always have something cool yeah. in their pocket or like, oh, we're, we're playing mm. with grass today. Or then they find lady, like it's just always, it's always exciting. So I hope I answered your question. Oh, absolutely. Do you find that bringing the Indigenous voice, and you know, I'm mindful when I ask this to recognize that there isn't a single Indigenous voice, this sort of pan-Indigenous approach. I mean, every nation, mm -hmm. of course, is unique. Do you find that bringing cultural teachings from your experience just seamlessly works in with outdoor learning? Because that's certainly something I've heard from a number of other Indigenous educators. Oh, they just go hand in hand, really. Yeah. And I think like every culture is different, but we all are from the land and yeah. we all learn from the land and really understand our surroundings and understand the seasons and why are things here that are here? They're, they obviously have a job to do. The ecosystem is just so, it doesn't matter which culture, it's all so important. And then with outdoor learning, it just, it's the same thing. Like people are always so worried about um, making mistakes with indigenous learning, but I always just say, go outdoors. Like you don't have to teach the land will teach you, but you mm -hmm. do need to explore it. And you do need to question um, what's going on and why, and you do need to learn like names of, of, uh, of what things are to really under understand and also know like there's lots of animals that are hidden in our area, but they all have a purpose. 
And I think, I mean, that's outdoor learning right there. That's indigenous learning. It's just so beautiful. It is. And I like what you say about the hidden creatures. I mean, think about the microorganisms and we're learning so much now about the soil and the soil, you know, the wood wide web. And I mean, that's a whole, we could totally pivot and go off into that wonderful, (laughs) wonderful rabbit hole. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of mycelia. Yes, the mycorrhizal network. And yeah, kids tie into that. They see it. You lift a rock and you see that web of white and then tell them that that's like the internet, that, you know, lots of these kids are gaming or mm. um, connected online in some fashion and you tell them that that is the internet of nature, passing messages from tree to tree. Oh, I need nutrients. Oh, I'm feeling a bit of drought over here. Can you help mm-hmm. me? And understanding what, Indigenous people have known and talked about for thousands mm-hmm. of years that everything is connected. It, it fills my heart, though, when I see them, like, they're not even that surprised. They're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm, totally. You know? Of course Whereas they the adults are like, yeah, of course. Well, why wouldn't <laughs> yeah. they? They're all part of a massive forest. Like, mm-hmm. of course these things are connected. Um, it's such an incredible place to be. It is. It just... Oh, that's kind of like, I'm really learning about plants and flowers, but the the trees and and their communication system is, and the soil are next on my list of really diving deep into how incredible they both are. My gosh. Oh, yeah. (sighs) Continuing on the theme of diverse learners and Mm -hmm. an extension of that is a discussion of equity. What does equity in education mean to you? Only a small question. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a little one. <laughs> That's just maybe unfair. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I have lots about equity. I think that um, we're just realizing how inequitable our schools have been and, and just how amount, just how it's created the systemic racism um, for Indigenous children to, to fail and uh, the inequities that... Um, Privileged people don't understand what our Indigenous children go through each day. Um, And it's still, I don't think the understanding is quite there yet. I really think we need to have some more empathy towards our students and and really look at them in a different lens than how we have. Um, It seems, I don't know. I don't know if I should say that. I don't know if it's going to hurt people. The truth is what it is, though, right? I mean, we can't affect how people are going to react to things. I mean, the world is, the the truth is everything. It's Mm -hmm. comfortable, it's uncomfortable, it's everything in between. And that's why we have these open discussions is to bring in perspectives, both that have been heard and have not been heard as much in recent decades or centuries. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. And if the um, system wasn't broken, then we wouldn't see, you know, less mm-hmm. Indigenous students graduating or having access to higher education or um, the other, you know, statistics that exist that basically say that you are going to have a more difficult time. For sure. I just think about, um, there was a video a while ago that was set up and there was a teacher and he said, I'll start on this line. And whenever you, something that you have had, you take a step forward. Like if you never had to worry about food, 
take a step forward. If you, um, mm -hmm. if your mom and dad are still together, take a step forward. And I always think about um, children um, and even myself about how I would be, how far back I would be and how all Indigenous children would be far back. And they still get to that finish line. It just is incredible. Well, like we are survivors, we are fighters and how our children get to school some days, they have just survived. Like it, they have had such a hard time getting to school and here they are. They think it's that important that they're here. Like, wow, um, my kids went to school. I made their breakfast. I helped them pack their bag. I signed their agenda. You know, I pretty much do everything, which is probably not good either. <laughs> but I, I, I know some of our kids get themselves up, make their own breakfast, take care of their um, siblings, um, find their own clothes and do their own laundry. Like they really, they just survive. They do what they can to get to school because they know it's important. Um, but then when you are, when you do have so much on your plate as a child, it really is challenging to learn. And so that's, I think that inequity is just, I, I wish people did have an empathy for our students. And I know some do, but I'm so grateful for that. Um, but I just think, wow, these kids are really incredible. I know their gap is big right now between non-Indigenous and Indigenous, but I think, man, if they had the same upbringing to parents and white picket fence sort of thing, I think, can you imagine what they could do? And now that we're looking for children's gifts, it's so exciting to see um, Indigenous students of what their gifts are. They're incredible dancers and musicians, great storytellers, and they are funny. And uh, <laughs> there's so much more that that they know. It's, it's exciting. I'm excited to see where these kids are gonna, going to go. And I really hope they start are feeling like they're starting to be accepted and that they do have gifts. That's my, yeah, I really want kids to know that they do all have gifts. Oh, for sure. And with people like you, um, you know, getting into leadership roles and providing more support, I, I can't see anything but an upwards trajectory. So that is very promising and uplifting. All of the resources featured in this podcast, plus many more, for students and educators alike, can be found online at the Outdoor Learning Store. Visit www.outdoorlearningstore.ca to view what's on offer. From waterproof notepads to binoculars and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. In addition, there are educator resource books to help you take your outdoor education to the highest level. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We're Canada's non-profit resource store. We are the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEEN. You can visit our website at cbeen.ca. We are the regional network for environmental education in the Columbia Basin, supporting a community of engaged and effective environmental educators by connecting them to resources, information, professional development and networking opportunities. Did you, at any point as you were, you know, studying and going through your professional development, did you face challenges yourself as an Indigenous person through that journey? That I did, but I didn't know it at the time. It's not until I look back and I think, wow, 
there was a lot of systemic racism going on. And I fought really hard. There was lots of times I didn't get jobs or wasn't taken seriously just because of the color of my skin. And that just breaks my heart that we're in a society where that happens. Because I, I mean, I feel like I'm just me and I have a heart and I have everything that everyone else does. And I just can't believe that people think they're better than others with, with, with just a skin color. And I also didn't know my childhood was great. It was amazing, but there was also lots of trauma as well. And so when I talk to my non-Indigenous friends and I kind of have, tell some of my story, they always have these big eyes as I'm explaining. <laughs> like, that's Sorry, not a normal I, childhood. <laughs> I laugh because it's just like the, the thing where you're like, ooh, right. Yeah. You know? Not that the content is laughable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but it is. I mean, this is my life. This is what I go through. And so I... Yeah. And when other people are like, no, that doesn't, ha- that didn't happen in my childhood. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, it just made, I, I, everything made me stronger. I really had to heal myself and, and fight for, for what I wanted. And I didn't ever give up, which is a great trait in my, <laughs> in me, but also a really frustrating one. Yeah. It, it was, um, I'm glad I didn't give up because I really thought if I'm not going to be a teacher, what am I going to be? I was really scared um, because I loved kids so much that I just, I couldn't think of another position. I was having such a hard time getting a job. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? But it all worked out. And there's amazing leadership um, and people in my journey that have supported me and encouraged me to keep going. And yeah, that's, I mean, thankful for so many people in in our school district and in in different places that have encouraged me to keep going so yeah I'm grateful for your perseverance because so much of the work that you do um well I mean it's personally influencing me because I'm a part of your year-long learning challenge that we'll talk about a little bit and you know school districts like yours and the work you're doing are inspiring like the school district that I work in and people are hearing about um, how things are done and, and what's possible. Uh, and it's creating, um, in my experience, this, this really uplifting, uh, optimistic standpoint on Indigenous education. So that's incredible. It's true. Wow. Um, it's weird, isn't it? Sorry, we, you know, we get into these chats with people that we're so like passionate and, and care about and the work we care about and it gets a little bit um, sort of like a love letter. But uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's sort of, if, every, every one time we do this in one way or another, we find these things that, because this is like deep in the soul. Um, and so despite having this incredibly busy role, you did design the Every Child Matters year-long learning challenge. Can you explain a little bit about that and, and what the purpose is? Yeah, so um, Duncan Wittick that I work with um, is always innovative and creating amazing ideas. And um, we were just taught, we have this weekly um, walk and talk, or we do something outside every week as our meeting. And um, he was bringing up something like, I feel like we can't just stop. We were um, getting all these flags out in the summer. And he's like, I feel like we have so much more to share. And I was like, oh, yes, we do. And it just kind of all fell into place that we wanted to work towards truth and reconciliation and the year long challenge. And I thought, 
what a great idea. And so we worked together on it would plan things and then it would change. And um, it, I mean, it's been so um, incredible for myself because as I'm doing the weekly email, I am learning as I go as well. Um, because I, I know all these topics, but to really dive deep into them to get really quality, authentic information for everyone, I'm learning so much as well. And I mean, we try and go with themes that are connected with Indigenous days that are happening in the year, like um, we did like Orange Shirt Day and Every Child Matters. And then we've been focusing in May was um, the red dress and missing and murdered women. And this month, of course, is Indigenous Peoples Month or Indigenous Peoples History Month. So we want to focus on some, some things there. Um, but then other times we really wanted to do the hard work of looking at UNDRIP and uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Calls to Action. And so I think that was really helpful for people because we only did a little bit at a time. When you look at the documents, they're not big, but... Once you start reading, you're like, oh my gosh, this it's is heavy. A lot. It's heavy. It's heavy. So it's oh, nice. We, we, well, we're hoping like we broke it down. It's like, you guys can do this. You can read seven calls this week. I know you can. And um, I, I felt that was really helpful for, for people. And so, yeah, it's just, it's been quite a journey. And I, I mean, I've appreciated every single part of it and, um, we've also had speakers come and talk um, webinars and oh, just incredible sharing and learning. So it's been, it's, yeah, it's great. I, I'm so thankful and I'm excited about next year as well. We're going to be focusing more on um, truth and reconciliation and adding more, like just some more learning. So we're going to go back and, and kind of look at history and um, before contact and after and yeah, it's going to be tough because the truth is not easy. And like my childhood that I thought was just, that's how it is. It's, it's not, uh, lots of people haven't, haven't experienced or haven't heard truths. And I mean, they're not fun to hear, but it really does give a window to why some indigenous people are, are the way they are right now. And so, yeah, empathy and understanding, I think is what I want people to take away. And having participated, I think even, I mean, a couple of the things that stood out for me in the weekly sort of, and you get this weekly email with some some work you can do and it's um, bite-sized, like you said, so it's not overwhelming, but um, was a quiz that you made about how we capitalize words or words or, you know, is it Indigenous peoples and, and who how do we do these things so that we can start to because words have a lot of meaning mm -hmm. um and I and that really challenged me to think about that it also challenged me to update and think about my personal uh land acknowledgement as um and and framing that firstly as a non-indigenous person um mm -hmm. and then reaching out and communicating with people in my community Mm -hmm. um my indigenous friendship society and through that um actual knowledge keepers um to really have conversations about complex history intractable conflict um loss of land um and and really actually dive into what that means rather than and mm -hmm. uh, just you know reading f four names off of a list somewhere um exactly. connecting 
it's been a huge, a huge thing. And, you know, I talk about this a lot with other people, with other educators who are non-Indigenous about mm-hmm. um, settler guilt and not feeling capable of um, being an ally because the guilt and the fear gets in the way of actually um, uplifting Indigenous voices, sharing resources, as long as they are appropriately um you know credited or the provenance is shared Uh, and I'm just on a massive journey of trying to feel more confident um, to ask questions and uh, communicate without Mm -hmm. um, being fearful which Mm -hmm. is um, it's well it's a it's really changing a way of uh, being because I mean it's not that there's, you're not to blame. No one is to blame. It's just our systems are just so um, racist and, and they've been so invert that you don't even recognize it until now, t- 2022, we're like, that is not okay. Oh my gosh, that that's what's going on. Like, how does this happen? And so it's just been how we've been raised as indigenous people and people of color are not as important as Caucasian and that's just been how it is um it's always yeah and I mean that's so inequitable and so not true but it's just been ingrained in everybody and and just who indigenous people are uh, it's also been such a lie really um and understand and just understanding like where some indigenous people are today struggling in a trauma. Yeah, you would be. (laughs) It's like what's been going on intergenerational trauma. I mean, all of the horrific things that have happened to my ancestors and and my people has been atrocious. And I think, man, you are surviving. You are doing the best you can. I'm so proud of you. And looking for that, like in, with everything that has gone on with you, you still try and get up every morning. You still try and go to work. You still try and be a great mom, like a great dad, great grandma. Like, wow, it's everything's against you. Like the whole world is against you and you still don't give up. And I think that's just the power of our ancestors. They were so powerful and it really does carry on through generations. And yeah, and I just want people to start to understand of all the when there is that generational trauma, you're carrying trauma of, of, yeah, of your ancestors. It's, it's an interesting thing. (laughs) And not that you should have to, but the science like is there that says Mm -hmm. that the, the the way that genes work in terms of memory, in terms of addiction, in terms of, um, of pain are switched on or switched off in childhood. And when mm-hmm. there is trauma, these genes get switched on and then they, they get awakened and they get passed down the line. Mm-hmm. It's, it's devastating. Um, but acknowledging it and um, and speaking of it and using words, you know, like atrocious, owning the fact that these things have gone on are horrific is so important. But without mm-hmm. strong Indigenous people taking the lead... Um, and then non-Indigenous people providing a platform and support whenever they can, because we are a larger, much larger population, real change can't happen unless everybody lifts their voice up. Yeah, and everyone, you know, we're learning our biases, which is like, check your biases. What are those? Wow. It's, there's a lot out there. 
but I think just questioning before you before you act like this is where are we going with this is this a bias or is this like a heart is this from my heart and I think if people focus on their on what their heart feels and just keep trying to understand like just I think going outside is the most healing healing way and I think the more people outside and understanding that's that really is reconciliation connecting with nature and learning how important it is to our world um, and how to to how to take care of it uh, is so important. And I really don't want people to feel ashamed and, and blamed for, for what's happened. I mean, it has, um, but, but the part right now is how can we make everyone's life better? What do we need to do as a society um, to change our world? Climate change coming and, and like fire season instead of summer, what can we individually do to take steps in supporting, creating, keeping our healthy world. And I think that is super important. And I know Indigenous people, when they see others outside enjoying and taking care of nature, that is reconciliation. Stoked on Science, providing engaging, educational and fun programs across the Columbia Basin. Is your school or organisation looking to develop your environmental programming? Connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum or engage your students or teachers with unique programmes that go beyond the basic science topics, like delving into the history of the earth, how it's changed and where it's going. If so, visit www.stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programs for your K-12 and adult professional development courses. What are some of those next steps for bringing in the various Indigenous voices and working toward reconciliation? Uh, next steps for like educators or next just any person in general well let's start with educators and then we can kind of broaden it from there i think the first thing um, i encourage people to do is really uh, take some uh, cultural awareness or anti-racism courses um, because there's a lot that people do that they don't even know they're doing uh, and just to get some more clarification and be curious of why you think the way you do um, those courses have been created to give so much knowledge and perspective. I really encourage everyone um, to take a course. I've taken one, I've taken a couple, and I always learn from them as well. And it really does help my understanding. Um, so that would be one. And then connecting and communicating. It's so important to communicate what you're doing and, and ask for support. If you want to be do Indigenous perspectives, if you want to get more knowledge and you need to ask it's uh, it's okay and and I think too just if you aren't able to connect with an indigenous person like I said before going outside and really connecting with outdoors is going to be super powerful for your children and getting instead of just going outside just to play like really creating a framework for your whole year of how you can incorporate seasons and animals plants, you know, everything that's going on throughout the year um, that has been happening for forever um, really will help with your Indigenous perspective. So those are my two recommendations. Um, And same for people, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not just isolated to educators, that advice. Mm -hmm. And you're right, taking that phenological approach 
and letting the land teach us through the seasons is it's so easy to do especially in the temperate zone and we're just so fortunate as well mm-hmm. being in the temperate zone and i think it's almost a disservice to say that it is four seasons i mean what is a season really <laughs> exactly it, it could be defined in any number of ways it's this period of constant change and you can never get complacent i find mm-hmm. in the the temperate zone and that's what makes it so exciting and brings so many opportunities into it. And I mean, for educators, as you said earlier, all you have to do is go outside, take your students outside and let the land do the teaching. Mm-hmm. Are there any resources that you have used, though, that maybe if people are, um, it's taking time to make the right connections, um, to get that experience firsthand or that um, that sharing of, of knowledge. Are there any resources that you have or can recommend for people that they can utilize to, to get started? Oh my goodness. I have so many <laughs> long lists. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I mean, one, a resource that sticks out to me the most is braiding sweetgrass because I'm in it right now. And it has been such an incredible teacher. And I just, the way she speaks, like I've bought this book, paperback, ebook, audio. And so I can listen to it when I, when I'm gardening or when I'm going for a walk. And then at night I can read it on my iPad and highlight quotes and stuff like that so that I have it. And then I can have my paperback anywhere. It's really is, I think, a framework for outdoor learning because the themes are so important. So yeah, that can be used K to 12, I think, with just understanding um, how important different plants are and um, just how important nature is. And then with that, for younger students um, and older, like the big nature book has all these different activities um, that you can use with younger and older students. And then there's, well, there's so many. I love... um, we have the Pacific Northwest cards and, and then the different brochures that have all the different local like birds and slugs and bees and flowers and animals. And there's just so, I just, I think those are really important because when you're outside and you're like, what is that? You can just pull it out and check. And I just, I feel like those two things being outside and having those cards, you can do like a full day of, of activities. And then I know teachers are nervous, like what do you do outside? We have um, like messy math, messy math and um, dirty teaching. Like there, I think you really have to do what's gonna be best in your heart and what you think your students would like to learn, but there's all these helpful resources. Um, and then for older students, gosh, what is it called? Groundswell um, is a beautiful book about climate change and indigenous perspectives. Um, and then there's some non-Indigenous um, resources like Dirty Teaching and, and Messy Mass. There's one about, oh, I can't remember the name, the Big Book of... The Big Book of Nature Activities? Yes, the Big Book of Nature. That can be used K to 12. And so just getting, I think, like a collection of ideas and, and really following um, nature is really going to be like a new pedagogy, a new way of learning and... I don't have a favorite reason. Well, braiding sweetgrass is pretty amazing. Um, But yeah, there's so many great resources that are doing exactly what I want to do. And yeah, I encourage teachers to try some activities out outside. 
and I love what you said there just about following nature mm-hmm. you know it's just just follow it and 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 ask questions and, exactly. and have wonder and have gratitude and and see what happens exactly it's a magical a magical space yeah like pick, a, pick an animal learn its gifts learn what it needs learn its life cycle oh my gosh that could take you could spend hours days learning about one animal and then find a plant outside you connect with what is it what is its purpose is it medicinal can you eat it when does it thrive does it need to be picked does it need to be thinned out like what are what do we need to do because it's all about indigenous culture is all about gifts so and being thankful right so i mean mother earth has given us so many beautiful gifts when we look outside and and it's important for us to to be thankful and like taking care of our plants so i was like out in our backwoods kind of taking away all the branches and and different things from from some bushes and from the sage i was like i wonder like i have all these questions i wonder if i remove all of this is is it going to help them thrive more like that could be a science experiment you can do different different things like i just and it all is out there gosh it's incredible so and yes <laughs> and robin wall kimmer is like gather um braiding sweetgrass and then i don't know if you've read gathering moss as well but oh book. no i haven't yeah, i've got that book. on oh i've got that on audio and book like you yeah. pa- reading book oh yes um, paperback. printed paperback thank you <laughs> um and that's unreal as well and it makes you just go and lie down and where i live in the inland temperate rainforest like there's an enormous amount of moss so Mm. i'm i'm on this like moss learning journey Mm. it's unreal and she talks just about gratitude and um i've been learning tanaha um with uh, chief alfred joseph and, and mara um and like there's not really a word for thank you right but it's just like husikini like i'm mm-hmm. grateful i'm just mm-hmm. grateful and i i feel like i'm grateful every time i go outside um mm-hmm. and my my other one plant that i'm learning about is, is um horsetail and the fact that this is like one of the oldest plants you know hundreds of millions of years and it's basically just pure silica so you can use it to polish jewelry you can use it to clean plates and historically there's a huge cultural connection to that plant as as um gifting uh cleanliness and an ability to transform things and i'm just um every time incredible it's just so magical it just it blows my mind every day i learn something new and i just wish we could be outside more because i just feel like i'm missing so many lessons like we have a right by the lake my offices and we have eagles and herons and ospreys and I'm sure there's more birds that I haven't seen falcons like what what's going on out there what are they doing I just want to know you know like don't get Ian started on the birds though because we'll be here for another hour he's like full bird expert (laughs) I'm a a recovering bird watcher are you (laughs) they I mean the natural world just amazes me and I'm so curious. I wish I had more time to just observe outside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we've been chatting for an hour. Normally, you know, these this, this sometimes happens, but we could probably just keep going uh, until eternity. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much uh, for sharing your wisdom and your thoughts and, uh, you know, a bit of your heart and soul with us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that 
uh, I get to share my heart because I am so passionate and I, I do hope others can connect and, and follow their heart's lead as well and really question um, everything outside and have some fun. That's a great place to finish. Go out there, have some fun, question, wonder, and be grateful. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Indigenous perspective right there. Yeah, it is fun. Well, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's Earthy Chat. You can find the resources featured in this podcast at the Outdoor Learning Store. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.com. You can also visit greenteacher.com for incredible educational resources and webinars and cbean, that's c-b-e-e-n.org for a range of environmental resources including professional development opportunities, grant information and green jobs. Lastly, you can visit www.stotonscience.com to chat with me, Jade, about science workshops or educational consulting. Tune in next month for more cross-pollination of ideas and another fun, earthy chat. Yeah, we could keep going. We from yeah. until going. the end it's of so time. Good. Yeah, we say and, uh, that a lot on this show, but it's yeah, true. I mean, we get into these great discussions, and that's the whole mm-hmm. point. We have a roadmap of sort of mm-hmm. the basic topics, but it often does take on its own character. Life. Each discussion, mm-hmm. and that's that's how we like it.